Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast. This season, we are focusing on deconstructing church, where the church has been and where it is going. Today, we have the privilege of having Rob Haddam join us. Rob and Janet are forerunners in helping local churches move away from traditional models of ministry and into new and creative expressions of the kingdom. The Haddam's 26 years of pastoral and cross-cultural ministry denominational executive experience support their life passion to come alongside pastors, churches, and leaders to see the greatest kingdom impact through their unique God-given calling. Rob holds a bachelor's in business admin a D and a D-min with an emphasis on church multiplication and leadership development. Rob and Janet have been married 43 years and have two adult children and five grandchildren. Rob and Janet are currently directors of cross-cultural engagement as part of the refocusing team under the umbrella of Novo. The refocusing team are a group of missionaries to the church that come alongside local congregations and help them transition from the attractional model of church into a more missional orientation towards the community. Their goal is to help members of local churches discern God's unique calling in their life which results in the birthing of new expressions of the kingdom and ultimately produces new and reproducing disciples of Jesus. As director of cross-cultural engagement, they have spearheaded the creation of missional pathway materials into the Spanish language and are currently in the process of doing the same in Korean. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's my joy. Thank you both, Dan and Kristen, for having me. Yeah, it's kind of weird to hear your whole life codified into two paragraphs. <laughs> I was wondering who you were talking about. <laughs> Whoever this guy is, he's really great. Yeah. I can't wait to talk to him. I'm sorry, I was supposed to read Bakke, Bakke graduate. I did yeah, not so I skipped yeah. it because I thought I am going to butcher this, but well yeah. done. Thank you. Yeah. Dr. Haddam, Dr. Haddam. Well, hey, but one of the one of the things we try to do with that we're trying to do with people that we interview on this kind of season is just ask them like, do you have like a, just a hilarious ministry story? Like one of those church stories where like you just can't make this stuff up. Like there's just you just can't make it up. It's how did this happen? So, uh, yeah, if you've got something like that, can you share with us? Yeah, if you know me at all, uh, and my wife was here, she would, and uh, some of our folks from our congregate, we were pastors in Santa Barbara, California for 15 years. Uh, I was always opening mouth and inserting foot. It just seemed like I was always uh, stepping into things. So I, I don't think she would mind at all. God bless her. Her name is Hilda. And uh, Hilda, I reminded her of her son, a younger son. Uh, I was too was in the Navy four years just at the evacuation of Vietnam in the Philippines. Janet and I married very young, but uh, so we had some things in common and she always would just dote on me and love on me and she's a sweet lady. But as she was getting older and a little bit weak, she w was in a wheelchair. And on one particular day, as we often would do, we would take time just to greet, go around and people would pray for each other, whatever was on their heart. And it was a lengthy, it was always 
kind of an unforced, unrehearsed kind of a thing. So I went over to her. I always wanted to, to make sure I connected with her when I saw her. And uh, as with children or anyone else that's sitting, you want to get to eye level. So several folks were standing around her and I was crouched kind of low looking at, at her eye to eye. And um, she had these eyebrows that were quite long and she had one one hair, I kid you not, must have been at least an inch longer, but I didn't know it was her eyebrow. I thought it was a hair that kind of was dislodged and was kind of ready to get into her eye. Oh, so as she as she's talking, I wasn't even consciously aware of what I was doing. So I was trying to come out of her peripheral uh, on her right side, my left hand, to just kind of snatch that hair away, right? And there were several of my guys, what we'd say, our leaders, our friends, who were standing there, and they knew the nut job that I was and am. So I reached over just kind of gently to try to just remove it. But what I did was, is when I started to pull, I realized that I was I was pulling. You could see part of her face being pulled away. <laughs> and, then, and then I didn't know what to do. Should I pluck it? So I gave it a yank, and it didn't come. So I put my hand down, and she didn't miss a beat. She just kept, Cheryl patted and I just went, oh, oh, oh. So later on, people were just saying, didn't your mother ever tell you, don't touch anything? And I... I, I, I'd like to say I learned a few things, but my wife, would she was mortified when she saw it. Everybody, she oversaw the children. So after church, she went, oh, you will not believe what he did today. You know, so anyway, that's the one that comes to mind. Oh, my goodness. That is, that's amazing. Yeah, thanks for sharing, bud. So we'll see at the end of this season podcast, like who wins for the funniest story. I, I've got I've got a, a few, so I, I'm going to put mine in in the my <laughs> mine in the ring. Oh, so you to didn't speak. tell me there was a contest. I would have. There, there is a contest. Well, do you have another one you want to throw into no. the ring? <laughs> I'm mortified um, when I start to think about what I what I did. So anyway. we'll tell you what we'll do a summary podcast at the end, and then if you feel like you need to throw something in there, then we'll do it at that point. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I really think Kristen's story is going to win. So, yeah, we'll we'll let her share that. Yeah. Well, hey, what I kind of what we wanted to really talk to you about and give you an opportunity to talk about is your insights or are your insights into the church, where it's going. Uh, you have this really wonderful vantage point in which to see in the ministry that you're currently in, which we'll get into later, but you you are in multiple churches around the country, around North America, really. And just talking to pastors and really feeling, you know, being able to uh, feel the heartbeat of what's going on. And so when we thought about who can we interview to really share with with uh, our listeners uh, where the church is going, you're one of the first ones that came to mind. So I'm really excited to hear, like, what's going on in the church? What are you seeing? One of the phrases that keeps going through our minds is there's just got to be more to church than what we're seeing. Like, there's just got to be more. I was uh, joking around with a young lady in Phoenix through a, a call I had uh, through Fuller and and just saying, you know, like, was Jesus's idea of Easter really like, let's go out and buy our kids really cute clothes and and fun hats and then have dinner with our family? I mean, when when he raised it, is that what he told the disciples? <laughs> Guys, Easter's going to be awesome, right? You're going to have ham and everything. Like, is that really what it was? Or was there like more than that? And so um, that's really what we're trying to delve in. So as we hear your story, I would uh, just love to have you just start with the beginning. Like, what's your history with the church? And, you know, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, thank you, Dan. 
I was raised uh, kind of interestingly, uh, not just Roman Catholic, but also Melkite Rite, which would be more of an Eastern Orthodox. My father, Lebanese, my mother, Irish. So when people meet me, they, they try to begin to understand the confusion that they catch because uh, I had two Holy Communions and <laughs> yeah. So I was raised, uh, raised Catholic, uh, Catholic school, a little over seven years. Um, the God that I knew, interestingly enough, was, I would say, an angry God. And the reason what, that I'd say that was, is in that day, I was a kid that had a lot of energy, would have been classified as hyperactive and perhaps even attention deficit, you know, uh, on top of that. Uh, now looking back. So that got me in a lot of trouble because I couldn't sit still. I was always involved in something. And I'm an inquisitive kind of person. I always went, been a kid, kind of interested, you know, why things do what they do, tearing things apart, looking into things and just, you know, having clean fun. So the nuns would yank on my ear. Uh, they would, uh, you know, with the, the rulers, the yardsticks and send me to Mother Superior. And then I'd get a beating there. And then I'd get a go to Monsignor and Monsignor, I'd get a beating there. A uh, small school, and then the note, the notes go home. Then my mother, she's upset because you know reputation, whatever. Then I get hit by her, and wait till your father comes home, hand him the note, and then it, you know it, it was just brutal, right? So mm-hmm. we got out of the parish where, and we moved only one time growing up. We stopped going more and more to church, and I started going to public school. And maybe for about a year and a half, we would attend occasionally. My parents, you know, I would say that they they were the high holy day churchgoers. Uh, Mother's Day, Christmas, Easter. I would call those the high holy days. And uh, but we we needed to go because we were in school. So fast forward the tape. I um I became what I would just say uh, an agnostic. Probably I you know believe, but nothing in particular. I just think that you know weaker people needed you know some kind of a crutch to land on. So young, uh, twenty years old, Janet, nineteen. Uh, we went to Pierce College for a while. I joined the Navy, and now we've transitioned from the Philippines. I'm in on the island of Guam, and this is August sixteenth. In fact, my my spiritual birthday is coming up, the fifteenth, that which is tomorrow. Excuse me, the fifteenth. Happy birthday! Uh, yeah, it was uh, a guy that a guy uh, that I worked with. He went back to the states on leave, and somebody took him to Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith. And he came back on fire and he's witnessing to everybody. I was doing some pre-law study. I was going to go into the Navy JAG Corps and I had high aspirations and, you know, just like people, I, I figured people, you know, needed help. So I wanted to help people and respected whatever their beliefs or whatever their cultures were. I had nothing to prove. So Neil comes back and he's witnessing, witnessing. And I tried for four months to, to I just took him on as a little bit of a project to upset his faith. I wanted to, yeah. So I was, I was a bad guy. I was tearing him up and I don't know what his phone bill was trying to call the elders of the church, trying to get answers to all my questions to shipwreck his faith. But lo and behold, God's got a sense of humor. So briefly, it was about 1.30 in the morning on the 15th. And the reason why I remember that I was payday. We would say often the eagle has landed. And so uh, I was the section leader, crash rescue paramedic team on the runway. And Neil had the 12 to 4 a.m. I knew he was awake. And I went out and I just grabbed him and I said, you've totally messed up my life. And he said, uh, I said, what do I need to do? And he smiled. I call it the Christian smile. Had the little smirk. You know what to do. So um, I asked him if he'd help me. And he said, yes. And I said, well, how do I pray? He goes, you know how to pray. And I just said, God, if you're real, please reveal yourself to me. And Neil showed me in the Bible that I'm a sinner and I need salvation. I need forgiveness. And that's really where it started. And 
God, if you reveal yourself to me, I'll serve you all the days of my life. So radical transformation, a lot of incredible things occurred very quickly. Um, I believe the Bible, because I was in school finishing things up, I had a study habit. So I literally read through New Testament, Matthew to Revelation, at least a dozen times within the first three weeks. And, And I was just pouring through and just trying to prove, disprove. What is it about this that I believe that's different than what I was raised with in Catholicism, et cetera, et cetera? And miracles were happening. So from there, uh, got out of the Navy. I thought I was going to go into full-time ministry, and that's a long story, but ended up attending church on the way because some friends had recommended we were from the San Fernando Valley, California, and I didn't know anything about a four-square denomination. And you know, anyway, from there, it was about a 14-year uh, experience where I was in business. I finished up my bachelor's degree, served the, ch- the local church, a couple, three of them, helped with the church plant, very excited, wanted to learn everything I could. And uh, I was bivocational. We were asked to take a church in Moorpark, California. That was in 1991, and we were there till 94. And then we were asked to go to Santa Barbara. From there, we, uh, you know, were part of church planting and leadership development. And God was using all those years to continue to develop my life and my character, my leadership. And, you know, the whole doctoral thing was kind of a interesting thing. I was actually just trying to finish up some biblical study for a master's degree. And they offered me to finish that up because of the work I'd already done. Some of the things I'd written, uh, classes I had created, uh, certain things And then they just transferred me over, had me take a few more classes because I was working at a doctoral level. So it was kind of (laughs) weird. But God, you know, I wasn't interested in the degree, so so to speak. I just wanted the tools to help me be the pastor and be a a, a leader that God had called me to do and the big dreams that were in my heart, you know, to see his kingdom expand and the multiplication of ministry and people's, you know, being released into the fullness of what God had for them. So, yeah, that's a pretty big high flyover. Yeah. So I wanted to jump back a little bit to your 14-year interim there uh, yeah. when you're at Church in the Way and you're helping some church plants. And and um, you had felt like this call to ministry, but 14 years is a long time before you yeah. can maybe enter into that. So what what was it in that time that kind of kept you away from that? Was it kind of that pastor parishioner dichotomy, you know, where it's like, I'm not one of the holy ones. So, and that's kind of reserved for other people, or is it just your own sanctification process that needed to happen? Well, I mean, what, what do you think is going on yeah, in there? I think, I think it was all of that. I've had leadership on my life since I was a kid, you know, people would say, if you follow him, you know, I could lead him into trouble or, lead him, you know, if people were always <laughs> And I have to be careful because I could I could sound like I know what I'm talking about and people actually believe me, you know, and so <laughs> hopefully it's changed through the years. But to be honest, Dan, in my mind, I think there was some convergence and some transformation was happening. I thought that A plus B always equaled C, right? So if I do this and this and this, this is what I got to do. So in other words, I'll volunteer for everything, which I did. I mean, the joke is I d- I've done everything in a church ministry with the exception of women's ministries. If they would have <laughs> let me do that. I would have tried to, you know, so, um, I don't know. I feel like you'd put on a great team, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I think Dan, certainly some of the outside of my childhood and some other painful, painful things that I was raised in some of the most difficult pain and suffering I've been through has been at the hands of the church. I have to admit, 
Um, but because, you know, it, not to make light of it, but, you know, hurt people hurt people. And yeah. we, have, we have systems where we expect that when you're in the church, whether it's the pastor, denominationally, whatever it might be, that they should be perfect and holy and sanctified. You know, the word you used a minute ago. Well, God, God uses that brokenness to shape us. Bobby Clinton talks about all these experiences in his book, The Making of a Leader, that these are all processes that flow through God's hands and depending on how we embrace them. And I'm not saying I was smart enough early on because I had a lot of fight left in me, but I can now look back and say, man, God was using this to shape this in me, to cause me to to trust Jesus. Uh, I started by saying the God, the angry God. I, don't, I, I know my father now as a loving father. I know, I know him in an intimate way that I had no knowledge of that. I know what forgiveness is for me, what acceptance is for me. I remember a day some uh, many years ago, I was pastoring actually, my works model, my works mentality, I got to climb to whatever the top of that hill is. I've got to be the best at whatever it is, the drive. You know, I'm, I'm like that A++ kind of guy, you know, driven. Not like I used to be. I'm certainly, I believe God's done a lot of healing. But I remember one day specifically where God was speaking to my heart. He said, son, and I love that. I was just talking to a, a young leader the other day, and I, I was sharing a story and I, uh, how God spoke. And I said, son, and I said, oh, I started crying, actually. I didn't realize how almost every single time the Father has spoken to me, it's always been with son. Mm. That's nice. And yeah. he said, and he said, son, um, do you know that my love will never would never change for you uh, if you never read your Bible ever again? If you uh, if you if you never served, you never did ministry again, you never preached another sermon, you never prayed another prayer, you never gave another dime, you never went to church ever again as you know it. That would never change my love, the the love that I have for you. It sounds simplistic, but I'll tell you, that was such a, a breaking, but also a healing moment for me because I, I had no idea of the construct of approval that I had continually been seeking by, uh, oh, yeah, we give way beyond this and that. Oh, I attend and I, you know, oh, I'm there every Wednesday. I'm there every Sunday morning, you know, whatever the whatever it might have been. And even as pastors, you know, the insecurities we have and the we don't want to say we don't compare, but we all do, you know, and my heart yeah. breaks today for how many people are trying to match so-and-so online in their presence with all this COVID-19 thing. So, yeah, I, I think those years, brother, were obviously we can immediately relate to a Joseph kind of experience, right? I think God has used as a template for my life more of a Jacob kind of a shaping. I, I had the rebellion in me, certainly. I have the pride, the arrogance, the I would never confess that people never knew it, but I'm better than most. I may not be as strong or as smart as everybody, but my tenacity and my willpower is beyond, you know, I can stick longer than anybody. And so I'll just wear you out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, and God, by his gentleness, I've had a couple of Jabbok moments. I would absolutely say divine encounters uh, where I pray by God's grace. I don't walk the way I used to walk. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't live the way I used to live, but only God can do that. That's the only the divine work, you know, the struggling in the innermost depths of my own soul and being. And uh, I just thank God for it. He, he's sovereign. He knows exactly what he's doing. And it's an ongoing work, you know, of recent date, just it's, it's still fresh, but years of just a major shift that uh, wasn't, it was certainly God used it in human terms of a major, major shifting, which, and the pain and the suffering that came out of that, that was again, protracted. But when I got over my initial kind of reaction, it was a similar thing. It's like, 
okay, God, this is really familiar to me. Not the same, different, but very, very familiar. So my prayer was, God, tie me up. It's like David crying out, you know, tie me to the to, to the festal horns of the altar, right? I, I really, I know that, you know, you can tie your feet, and you can tie one of your hands, but you still got one left. And I said, <laughs> God, I'm, I'm not able to, you got one arm, one hand left. I said, God, I can't do this on my own. I desperately, desperately need you to keep me bound in a place until you get whatever it is you got to get after. Because I, I want my life to be, I really want my life to be a living uh, act of worship, whatever that might be to glorify you. And I can't do that. I can't will it. I can't study it. I can't memorize it enough. I can't attend church enough. I can't do anything. It's just the act, the work and the of the grace of God upon my life. And that transitional season is what moved me out of, uh, you know, denominational leadership to uh, a setting with a, a larger church setting that I got to experience. I'd never been in a larger. And then ultimately where I'm at right now, working with a bunch of guys from all different backgrounds and denominations uh, with the refocusing team with Novo. So 14, 14 years were developmental. And, you know, I'd like to say it has it's ended, but, you know, I'm still in process. So, yeah. So you're in the local church, you're you know, in the pews, so to speak, not in a derogatory way, but you, you know, no. you're, you're in the pews, so to speak. Yeah. You get a chance to, uh, pastor, you know, bivocationally do that for a little while. Then you jump into full-time vocational ministry in Santa Barbara by all accounts of local churches. You had a successful ministry over 15, 20 years, right? And then you jump into denominational leadership where you are you have oversight over, I think, at least 100 churches, uh, something like that. So looking from the outside, like you, you won, <laughs> you know, like you, you, you did, like, this is what we all dream of, you know, if you're in ministry, right? But something's happening in your soul, right? So you're, you're seeing like, what, what are you seeing when you're the district supervisor that's really like, this can't be right? Well, Dan, thank you for that. Um, I think it goes back even further. Um, after we got through the initial years of transition to a historical church in the movement, an older, older generation that was, you know, the builder holding on that uh, we started to see growth. I started to formulate what, you know, my own ecclesiology. I thought I knew a few things, you know, we all go through Sisto one and two, and I thought I knew a thing or two or three, and I thought I had a pretty sound doctrine, theology, et cetera, but God was rocking my boat. What do you really believe about? Simplest thing, what, what do you believe about offering? What do you believe about communion? What do you really believe about the meeting of the saints? What do you believe about prayer? What do you believe about preaching? What do you believe? You know, it's like, I'm going, I couldn't give just the pat simple answers, right? So I, when I started going down that, that pathway and really struggling through to find out by the Spirit of God, what I believed in the larger context of the church, what is the church, right? It's like one day the Lord speaks to me and says, son, son do, you, do you think that you on the corner here on 50 East Alamar, you're, the, you're my only church in Santa Barbara? You know, I, I, I started studying the Church of Santa Barbara and its history going back to the mission. I interviewed over 76 pastors of all Christian Anyone that bowed their knee to Jesus, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterians. I mean, I did everything I needed to do to do to uh, I knew to do to uh, figure out people been there for short years, long years, what their experience had been, what they had seen. And that's where God started giving me more of a global perspective. Right. And really humbling me to like, 
even though we were growing and I realized it was a lot of it was transfer growth. You know what we what we like to say, guys said to me, a vineyard brother said, hey, they weren't yours when they came and they won't be yours when they go. And <laughs> and, and really, I, I didn't like him in the moment, but he was really he was really true. He was it was honest. Then I started thinking about, well, what do I believe about the Great Commission, the Great Go? Right. What do I believe about discipleship? I remember part of my mentorship and modeling was that, oh, you disciple people from the pulpit. And when I got my head wrapped around, I go, that, that's, a, that's not true because it's life on life and you, you know and you live. And so how do I relive this uh, outside of paying the bills and, you know, all the insurances, live bill, all these things that we like, you know, uh, I come out of a business background. So I gravitate fairly easily to the admin side of things and all that. But I hated it because I want to live on the front edge. I want to build. A, I just figured, hey. Uh, you come to a dynamic relationship with Jesus. Uh, why aren't people on fire? Why aren't they obedient to the call? Why, I mean, why do they need somebody else to ask them to do? You're an adult. You, you've read the Bible. So I used to often, if I were to pull out my journals, I use this terminology. I felt like I was the monkey on the end of the chain of the, of the organ grinder. And I was only as good as however I danced and got the peanuts fast enough. So the Sunday, I was only as good as whatever the sermon was or how good we we programmed the outreach, the Easter's, the Christmas, the whatever you want to call the, you know, the March for Jesus is the global days of prayer. And I was miserable most of the time because that was playing into it's never enough. It's never enough. And when I wanted to get down to and leading and not, I'm, I'm not so we had some, if you will, degree of of people's engagement at a deeper level of discipleship, but uh, certainly not to what I saw in my heart. You know, we were fortunate. We planted four churches, uh, three locally, one out, you know, as a result of our training, our schools of ministry, everything. And over time, I just started shifting. It's like the issue is not about putting all of our energy onto a Sunday morning, but it's how do I live day to day? How do we model the church as Jerry Cook's book, The Monday Morning Church, from Monday to Monday. How do I really live this when I'm in a culture that looks towards everything's towards the, the grand event, the Sunday event, which I couldn't find in the Bible? Yeah. So there, so I, I've got this conflict in this ongoing kind of like spiritual collision that's happening. You've got people that agree with the teaching, the doctrine, the philosophy, the leadership development, but our behaviors weren't following what we believed. Right. Uh, you know, the old saying, we behave what we believe. So I love that statement. It's not mine. It's been around for a very long time. But our our behaviors were not aligning what we believed. I kept fighting, trying to align my own life to this biblical pattern of life. But yet this collision of the church. So then while I was still pastoring full time for about seven and a half years of those 15 years, I was a local supervisor in California from basically the Caneo Valley uh, over to Malibu and then up to uh, Santa Maria area there. There was about 64. So that, you know, God bless, you know, the leaders that were around me, the staff people, my own personal assistant. I couldn't have done this. And we, you know, by all, it grew and we had good success and people were happy. And I think that maybe is why I was asked to join a team to move to uh, the Northeast and the predominantly the New England area, all of New England, state of New York and half of New Jersey. And we were there six and a half years. So hearing and loving pastors' hearts and knowing the difficulty of living in the trenches and the grind of the the ongoing, I've got to perform, and yet caught into a, a Western model that we weren't, you know, I wasn't really given permission to 
you know, the expectations that were there, whether they were my own that were placed upon me or the expectations from a larger movement, um, I'm not blaming anybody, but we were all raised up in a certain model. And it seemed like you would be extremely uh, radical and you'd even be rejecting others if you were even attempting to do anything differently, which, you know, in all honesty, I did do some things, you know, differently that some people close enough knew me enough to just trust, you know, that I was listening to Jesus. I wasn't tearing things up, but, you know, others was more than just the eyebrow raising, you know, and I, I just said, man, this is all I know to do when the day is done. It's like, this is all I have faith for. And I just want people to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus and to love other people in such a way, loving your neighbor that they fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. It's that simple. <laughs> so <laughs> let's give each other permission to just live this way without having to, you know, perform. Yeah, it really is true. It's almost like the things that we're quote unquote supposed to do as a church get in the way of what we're supposed to do as the church. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like we got, there's these expectations that we have. Well, you got to have a service. Well, you got to have this prayer meeting. Well, you got to have this ministry and you got to. Well, why? Because we're a church. And then you really step back and you're thinking like, but does, is this really where lives are changed? You know, like if you and look back. Marker, yeah. Sorry, I was thinking like those markers of success are kind of a human invention, aren't they? When you think about, you know, we've had leaders refer to the congregation members in our church as giving units. Yeah. How many giving units do you have? Well, I don't think Jesus ever referred to anyone as a giving unit. So where did that come from? (laughs) Yeah. So to your point, Kristen, um, I can share one little point around that where the deconstructs was, you know, was part of it. Just one example. So. From a business perspective, I managed businesses. I owned a business as a young, younger guy. I understood, you know, I took accounting one, accounting two. I can rebalance sheets and blah, 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 right? So when you start doing the, your P&Ls, your profit and losses, right? And you come from this whole, if you remember, you know, what's your vision values? What's your mission vision value statement, right? The right. mission, the vision, you know, I'm uh, I'm the Moses that comes down, which I did. I would fast and pray. I'd go away and i come back with this vision and then articulate it and then gather your leaders around. And, you know, how do you get the quote unquote buy into this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when God started just kind of just stripping this away and I felt so alone and so empty where because I have a, a prophetic gifting to me and it was like God was just shutting off that that spigot right and this is how this is how sick this gets is when I'm doing leadership development to help with gift mix and all of these different kinds of things we've all grown up with and learned in workshops etc and here's the thing so I know how to help get them slotted to fulfill what vision? Moses's vision, Rob, Rob's vision to fulfill the vision as if Jesus doesn't have a vision for his church. Well, I just wonder if Jesus ever gathered the disciples and said, okay, guys, I got an idea. Now we got to get buy-in. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and by the way, uh, let's do a gift mix. Uh, let me get yeah. you so that you know, okay, yeah. well, this is why it's not working. And all of a sudden I started realizing subtly speaking, just subtly over, over a long period of time, I would just, I'll confess my sin. It was usury. I i was a shepherd that was needing and using people to accomplish my objectives. So Dan, to your point, success. Oh, so we had a budget of million three or whatever it was. So in a Santa Barbara thing where we grew from about 110 to over 500 and to give mission dollar work, 
our monies were over 35, 38% of what we brought in went out every month. So you go, oh, isn't that well, oh, isn't that wonderful? It's like, all I knew to do was just what I knew to do, right? No big deal. But I can tell you this as I'm sitting here. I was crying before Jesus. It was never enough. The budget wasn't enough. We didn't have, I had 11 people on staff. Oh, the, wh- wh- I knew everybody that wasn't there, uh, multiple services. Why is it I knew everybody that wasn't there? What, why, oh, how many, yeah. didn't, how many didn't raise their hand or how many didn't come forward? And then I'm wondering, I got people, I had a guy say to me one day, he goes, I'm, I'm tithing, I'm giving to missions. I, I serve here, I serve there. I'm at this, I'm this. And he goes, what more do you need me to do? And he wasn't saying this from a derogatory defensive position. And I, I remember it as, as I'm sitting right here and that's where God started. It's like, I should need them to do nothing. It's like, what is Jesus calling you to do? Yeah. And that began a radical change in me. It's like, how do I help people be who God has called them to be? Not what I need them to be. Because uh, I had no idea of my angst that I had of accomplishing whatever these superficial imaginary objectives to please some denom or some leader or some other peer or whatever it was, my broken false self, right? That's where it was at, really. And I was raised within a church culture that fostered, if you will, this AA hyper, let's get it all done. Let's get her done, folks. Right. And I need you here. And let's we're driving, driving, driving. And so when the big thing started happening was is this radical understanding of what church is, what it isn't. What's my role as a person or not? Hey, radical. Huh? I'm not the only voice in the room. Huh? I'm not the authority in the room. I may be an authority, but I'm not the authority. For me to sit around with a bunch of leaders and say, this was our mantra, by the way, all or none. Holy Spirit's not confused. Or to walk away like Paul says, we prophesy in part, we know in part. For me to be able to say, after it's all said and done, as prophetic moments we can have, I go, maybe. (laughs) I'm not God. You're not God. Can I please build enough room in here For the presence of Jesus, I shudder to think how I have grieved the Holy Spirit throughout the years as a pastor, as a denominational leader. To sit in rooms with leaders where we're called to a prayer meeting and to have a pastor, uh, my senior, say, haven't we prayed enough? Let's get on to business. And for me to fall on my face and start weeping as a supervisor leader because it's like, oh, my dear God, as if I or anybody are are really going to accomplish anything. So anyway. Yeah. So don't hold back, Rob. Tell us how you really feel, okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, what are what are so so your heart is breaking, right? Because you're seeing this. But then you're a denominational leader later. Yeah. And now you're seeing other pastors who are struggling with the same things. And now you find yourself in a role where you're having to have some difficult meetings. And that's really got to start wearing on you over the course of time. Well, the beautiful thing about what I'm doing now with the refocusing team is, you know, we have a commitment that Jesus ignores exactly what he's doing. And he's invited us to join him. And we believe in his sovereignty. So he's going to divinely set up the appointments. And I love that where a phone call or an introduction will come somewhere. So I'm not really selling anything or shopping anything, right? Kind of like, when we were to, you know, working together as you guys were pastoring, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think we have the answer. I think there is an, an answer to just help a church that wants to be more forward focused and outward focused rather than the inward. Because if we look at history, anybody, if they're going to be honest and do an assessment, just church history, 
and it's a relatively short history. And with the billions and billions of dollars that we, the American church have spent. So where has that gotten us? Yeah. With all the yeah. arenas. And, you know, I was in that whole thing and it's, and, and I love the church because Jesus said, I'm, I'm, I'm coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle. He he's it's his big idea. All of us are part. It's his church, the, the, the glorious, beautiful bride of Jesus. I like to say it this way, the physical, visible presence of Jesus within our world. And he has us all scattered and spread throughout. We are the, the body of Christ. So the beautiful thing is, is like we're on this this uh, podcast today, we have a common heart. Uh, we have a common pulse that's that's just beating within us of something that Jesus is doing and has been doing in a different way. And it's it's in cooperation to help bring greater health and greater strength to the body, which I, you, all of us are a part of, right? I'm just now functioning from a different perspective if we use more of a a macro perspective of a gift like Paul, uh, whether it's the Ephesians 4 passage or Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians, all these different parts of the body. Here it is. Here's the global thing. It's not just in the local expression. It is the body, capital C. And the ministry we're part of is one of these giftings that Jesus has raised up for now since 1997 that is invited into churches to help, not to tell people what to do, but to help them become what they believe God has been putting in their hearts. So it's a it's a very long, intent, intense discerning process. And I love that aspect of it because I don't want to claim that I know what should or shouldn't be because God's uniqueness of his body is as unique as any one of us, the fingerprints and the DNA that we carry it. And so the expression of his body in whatever context, the inner city, rural, uh, urban, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the more interesting circumstances that we're facing right now is uh, COVID-19 and what it's meant for the churches. And I think it's interesting that you and I and Kristen and, and a number of other people, like we've, we've had this feeling for some time that like the billions of dollars that we're spending, like it's just number one, not working. And number two, does it please Jesus really at the end of the day, right? Does it please him? And I was uh, talking to a local pastor in the area. He pastors a you know reasonably good sized church, and uh, they're meeting at a uh, like a, a hamburger joint outside on on the uh, uh, parking lot. And then so they gather together about eight, and then everybody goes in and, and not goes in, but you know because we can't go in anywhere, but mm-hmm. um, orders breakfast, and there's this wonderful kind of partnership between local business and this church. Well, one of his people, one of the elders of his church came to him and just kind of spoke it off to the side and said, hey, um, do we have to go back to the church building? Because this seems to me to feel more like what church should be like. And the pastor, you know, in his defense was like, yeah, it really does feel that way, right? So it's kind of like with COVID-19, it's not just the few of us that are beginning to feel this like this pulse. Now it's everyone in the pews is being faced with wow, is what have we been doing here, right? Are you seeing any of that or do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah Dan. So I, I I work interdenominationally. I've got a, a a church I'm working with up in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. You'd love this pastor Tim Doling. Baptist background, another brother uh, back east and in, in Rhode Island, and I have another brother that is in um, 
kind of a south mid-state Massachusetts. So, and here here in my environment of the Southern California area. So I, I give you a little bit of a, a perspective of, and each one of those represents a different, in some regard, a, a, a doctrinal or a denominational rather uh, perspective and background, okay? I'm in relationship with these because of what I just said a few minutes ago that started the conversation. Some of them are friendships, a couple of them are brand new over the last year and a half or two. We don't have a long history. So here's the whole thing. First, we come into it and we're all responding, you know, what's real, what isn't real. It's like, oh, oh my goodness, we've never been hit, at least in our history. Uh, Enough of us on this uh, podcast have read enough history and know about, you know, the Great Depression and some of the other, you know, the the, uh, swine flu, the Spanish flu, you know, the pandemics, et cetera, through history. So but for the church here, I'll, I'll just focus for just a moment in the United States. Like anything, we 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 respond or we react. Right. So I think that at first there was just this disbelief and this reaction. What are we going to do? And then how do we maintain as best as we can our, uh, I hate to use this term, but a business term, it's a clientele. How do we keep our clientele, our followers, listen to this language, because this is a common language. And so just to give you a a little insight, everyone has been struggling with uh, initially was in this competing with the the online presence. So some of the guys who'd already been doing it, some of the bigger guys, some of the people with bigger budgets and video people and, you know, all of that editing, everything that they do. Um, then the normal guy who would just go on, whether it be Zoom or they go on Facebook Live or whatever it was, it's like, well, that's poor quality production. So uh, I just I just was I just spoke with a pastor. This is true uh, within this this week. And he gave me a number which they didn't have the budget. I don't know where the money came from, but they came up with $40,000 to add to their LED lighting, new cameras, new sound. And I'm, I'm not technical in that regard. So, but, but I can tell you, I don't know all of the dollars, but at least in most of the conversations with a few exceptions of the guys on any given month that I'm talking with that are struggling to stay above water in all of this spent, I, I can just tell you, my guesstimate would be in excess of a million dollars in the collective churches, just the, the several handfuls or dozens that I work with of trying to, to make sure their online presence is strong enough. Well, Barna just released. I mean, uh, the numbers that are watching have been dropping. They also saw uh, something in the last few weeks, maybe a month and a half now, where uh, viewership would log on because th- what we've done as an American church in the attractional model was we were providing goods and services, basically, and the entertainment value of that. So we weren't, we weren't truly making disciples. We were, we were gathering people onto a program that had some spiritual quality to it, right? So what ends up happening then, this person has a better worship presence. So people log on for the worship presence, but somebody's got a different teaching presence, and, they, and they'll log off and they'll log on. And so now they're also saying, well, why do I need to watch it live at nine? Because they're going to restream it later today or anytime during the week. So all of a sudden now these patterns have begun shifting. And for the poor pastors, and I mean this, and I'm one of them in the sense when I've asked myself the question, my ego was so big that like I shared, I knew who was missing. And I've had many pastors depressed tell me, I just need to be with people. I need to see their faces in the seats. And I asked the question, why? Well, see, I can't, I'm not the therapist in this, but we've got such a brokenness about this savior complex and this performance, if you will, anxiety. 
and this 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 one person one man band show thing that we have been doing as an American church. And I believe, if I may, just I, just for a moment, it's on the same theme. I believe this is God's doing. Not that He wills that any man would perish, right? Not against the sickness, but He is visiting His church, and I believe. He is systematically dethroning any idols that have been built. And those include the idols called Rob. Anything that has gotten between man and God has become an idol. Our buildings have become idols. Our programs have become idols. Uh, Our professionalism has become idols. Our, Our missions programs, our outreach programs, excuse me, have become idols. Because this is what you know, when you hear people longing for whatever it is, and you don't hear the voice of longing for Jesus, oh, a closeness, a dearness, a preciousness with Jesus, I can tell you something has been wrong with the preaching. Hmm. And I'm as guilty as the next. So I do not stand here as one pointing fingers or throwing rocks at stained glass windows. God forbid that I would do that. But God, I pray for his mercy and his grace. I truly believe that we are in an unprecedented time. Books will be written and we will be in church history classes in the decades to come that will be looking upon this. And I'm praying this, that when it's said and done, that the church will humble herself. And what will be said about the season is that the church alive truly did arise. Mm -hmm. And whatever, because Jesus said, whatever can be shaken will be shaken. That's what's going on. So... When I, when I need people to drive their cars into a parking lot, California style right now, because the mandate's out, or I'm fighting First Amendment rights, and we're talking about the law, Jesus isn't returning for politics or governments or anything else. And I'm not hearing people falling deeper and deeper in love with Jesus, but they keep exalting their rights. I can tell you right now, according to the Gospels, the presence of Jesus is absent. Mm. I don't care who it is. If I hear the humility and the hunger for Jesus and also a heart broken for the lost and the broken around them, people in their neighborhoods, the people that they're with, but you don't hear this. What you hear is, is, please get your cars in the parking lot. We can wave at each other, keep ourselves socially distant. We'll have the live band on a platform over here and I can preach over here. And I'm asking the question, why? Yeah. If if Jesus isn't enough, there's a problem in what we're having right now. And so my heart is just to keep pushing people. What well, guys have been pastoring 20 years. And I said, you mean you don't have leaders that you believe that can actually lead the congregation, the 10, the five on phone, Zoom, and encourage them to reach out to their coworkers, their neighbors, their family, whatever. I mean, if you you can't do, oh, no, I, uh, we're, we're Zoom, we're, we're, we're Zoom stressed. We can't do I go, we got a bigger problem than what we can think about. Mm-hmm. As a supervisor, we started implementing within the district. Uh, I didn't know that I was contrary to the movemental things within a DNOM. But even though it was signed off and budgets were claimed and all this, but I was so ignorant. I actually thought that we were about the the people first mandate. I actually believed that we were gospel centric. But here, no fault to anybody. But when you've got millions of dollars and you have lawsuits and you have properties, just bring it down to the micro, the local guy who's running a, a storefront or somebody who's trying to just keep their head afloat. They're paying their rent right now on their own credit cards. It gets real really quick right now because all of this stuff is failing. Uh, one church that I'm aware of, a larger church, their, their attendance has diminished down to nothing. They've lost 75 percent of a huge budget, by the way. Let me wow. tell you something. If you're living in that and you're trying to keep like my analogy of the monkey on a chain or you want to go to the circus performer spinning the plates, 
it's about time. Uh, things are going to be crashing down because I don't believe Jesus is breathing on this. This is the hour for the church alive to arise. Yeah. And, yeah, no, and it truly really be the Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world we're in. So that's that's what I'm committing myself. Just encouraged to be the cheerleader. And Jan and I are wrestling through, how do we now live in this in ourselves? Not with making some formal kind of a thing, but you know, we're seeing God opening doors certain places. Like people are crying out. If we have the ears of Jesus, just listening with the ears of the cry of the masses, the church is the only hope for the world. And I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the true disciple disciples, Christ followers. They're the ones that have the only hope. And where do we find ourselves? Running and hiding and securing. I mean, what do you think about this? I don't mean to get going too far on this. I'll stop with this example. Jesus was so radical and dangerous. We had no cure for leprosy, but where do you find him leading these innocent disciples? In the <laughs> middle of a war zone. Yep. Where's the Church of America today? Yeah. Mask, no mask. Should it be $600 of our unemployment check or should it be 400 Are we going to have another stimulus check or should we have a stimulus check? Right. Where's the church? Yeah. Well, and they're trying to get back into their buildings, and you just think, well, my thought is, you, you've you had enough teaching and enough, quote, being fed to last you a lifetime. Right. You don't need you don't need to get back in a building. You need to see who, who needs Jesus, which I think is what you're saying. Well, what's <laughs> On the redemptive side of this, Kristen, what is wonderful, I, I don't want to just leave it there on that side, my little yeah. diet, but there are people that, um, there's two in particular that I can say right now that I'm working with that are dreaming different dreams. And to some of us who've done small groups or house churches or whatever the model might have been, they've not allowed this time to keep them from doing the real work of ministry, Right. So they, they've been willing to, you know, I don't think it's risky at all, but in the in the old environment that we've come up in, they're living quite differently and empowering people and they're learning how to live as a church differently. Uh, what they're this two of them are calling them house churches and they are and they're and they're not in some denominational doctrinal way of making them pastors and licensing them, but they are leading them. And equipping the saints, as Paul says, right? Mm-hmm. And they are baptizing them, so to speak, as pastors of these groups of people towards multiplication. Yeah. And that can happen anywhere at any time. And so they're not looking to collect people unto themselves by the weekly message and the video, but they're using those times to train, to teach, to equip, to encourage, to release, and to and to go and to multiply. So yeah. it's happening in Canada. It's happening in the Southern California. It's happening on the East Coast. And there's a brand new guy that's coming out of a situation who is dreaming differently within his, you know. And and, and I think that the age of, of us thinking about full-time ministry and all that, I to your point, Dan, earlier, I was always in ministry. I didn't know what else to do. I just wanted to serve Jesus, right? My mind was as I wasn't official until I was the guy with the microphone. Mm-hmm. That was the wrong, that was that was that was the wrong thinking I had. And the pastors, you know, I was a volunteer. I I was I was this other person. I was the laity. I wasn't, you know. So we and you can't find that stuff in the in the New Testament. You can't. We're all called. We're all anointed. We're all sent ones, right? 
So that's where a lot of the deconstruct was happening. And I believe Jesus is bringing this in grand fashion right now. Right. So good, good. What would you say to the person listening to you, whether they are the pastor of a local church, a missionary, they, you know, sing on the worship team, they just show up to church, whatever it is, wherever they find themselves. Maybe it's possible someone's listening to this right now and they're not even, they're they're not part of a fellowship because they've just kind of gotten tired of, of what you see or they've been hurt. Like to go back to your point, some of our greatest hurts in life happen at the hands of people in the mm-hmm. local church. Like what would you say to them? What would be your word of encouragement to them moving forward? First of all, if any of what we're sharing, um, I, I, I just want to give a little bit of a, uh, an initial uh, word. I pray that you don't hear any angst or anger in me at all. There's not anything that I'm aware of in my spirit. I love the body of Christ. Even those that God has used that to shape me, they're my brothers or my sisters in Christ. And uh, I shudder to think that I would do nothing other than to bless and not curse. And I bless them today. I am shaped and I'm in, 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 in some, some part and need to need to really thank the developmental stages, the equipping and the preparation and the affording of all the experiences that I've had. So I love the body of Christ. I love the church and the new expressions. And I'm not saying there's going to be a total removal of the gatherings, but I do believe that the times very short order in the days to come, whatever it is, it's going to look very differently if we're going to embrace the new, the new wineskin, the new wine. So if you're, if anything in your heart is echoing uh, to the, from our discussion today, um, I want to say you're not crazy. And quite frankly, that's the spirit of God that has been stirring your heart. I'd like to say lean in by faith and shut off the, the overthinking of things because that may prolong a period and preempt you from really stepping into uh, kind of this whole thing. Like Peter, if, that, if that's you, Jesus, bid me to come. It wasn't a braggadocious thing. I really believe, or some, hey, look, look at me, I'm walking on water. I really believe that Peter's heart was really strongly after wherever Jesus is, that's where he wanted to be. And sometimes our efforts and things, there might be these barriers and these hindrances. But if your heart is just wanting to be where Jesus is, listen to his voice as he calls you. And it may be uncertain waters, truly, yes, but uh, he's more than enough. He's more than enough. He is Savior. So with what we're doing here, here's something uh, you can look at a lot of different movements that are happening. Uh, the Tampa Underground, uh, very easy. You can go ahead and Google that. The, uh, interesting to start out of a discontent, uh, lovers of the church and the movement that's been happening. I think now over 12 or 15 years, it's amazing what's going on there, their expression. Um, saturate uh, out of the Washington state of Washington. Uh, the, I forget his name right now. He's doing a great work. He's got a few books out. Love his heart. Um, I don't have the the name uh, right off the top uh, of my right now off of my head, uh, but the book is called The Prodigal Church. It's a pastor in Maine, came out of a large setting. Um, he doesn't throw rocks at the church. He's very gentle, loving, but I believe he's got some really good perspective on, you know, looking through the lens from a, a gospel centric, a Jesus centric perspective, looking through that lens and uh, readjusting and aligning our lives towards a gospel that really what we've given ourselves to, it hasn't been the gospel at all. 
Another book uh, called Courageous Discipleship to a Man and a Father on D, uh, DMM, Disciple Making Movements. And the question that he asked in two, the first, first two chapters is really, I've been using the term a few times, but is Jesus really enough? Do we, 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 we had so many things that's very, was very convicting to me with our refocusing team. If you go to uh, refocusing.org, um, that'll give you a lot of information. There's a lot of free resource there. Also a part of what we're doing uh, with the missional pathway that we bring to churches to help them in their discovery, them as individuals and the people uh, and then also the church, it's unique calling within its context. Um, there is uh, another part that one of our team mem- members, Nick Greenwood, has helped to develop to build on to the missional pathway, and it's called um, Activated. So people like yourself that are listening, well, what do I do? My church doesn't want to go to the people doesn't want to do this. So he started another online working across the nation with people that have had a heart. They sign in. There's training. There's development. It's all done uh, via Zoom, and they've got things that are recorded now, but you go there and uh, refocusing.org slash activated, and uh, that'll help you there. But you'll also find it on the homepage as well. But we've got a lot of resourcing. There's books there that you can get and give you an understanding to at least help you answer to what's going on in your heart. There's tons of material that's been written over the last years, uh, helping the church get better aligned um, and to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Um, You might, you might put I don't know, you might think differently, but I really love some of what Francis Chan has been doing and what he's been saying in his language. Um, Very stimulating, stirring. um, But Mm -hmm. that'll help you, you know, understand that you're not alone. You're not you're not out there. You're not weird. You're not crazy. But just be faithful to the call of God on your life and and risk that this is not a time to play it safe. This is a time to jump into the arms of Jesus. He's not going to fail us. He never has and he never will. And he wants to work miraculously, wonderfully, and powerfully through our lives to display his glory uh, so that as we've been praying the Lord's Prayer, right, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Is He wants you to be part of the answer to that prayer. Okay. He encourages you to do so. Awesome. Amen. Awesome. Let me just, if you could do this, just, in, you know, a sentence or, or two, Rob, heart to heart, right? Just heart to heart. You're talking to a pastor or a church leader who's frustrated, like just beyond frustrated, who's who's cried, who can't see another way out other than the ministry that they've been doing, just heart to heart, what do you say to that man or woman? My assumption would be, Dan, that you've been faithful and you have been giving your life without reservation. You've been pouring your life out for Jesus and for the people uh, that he has entrusted to your care. And for some that have been listening, uh, most likely for years, if not decades, and you're not dreaming anymore, but there's something of a spark that's inside of you. So first, I would say that dream and that spark is from the spirit of God. Uh, Trust it. And uh, no matter what your age and your experience, don't let the failures or the brokenness or the headaches or the pain to prevent you. Don't let it prevent you and keep you from not living all out into the dream that Jesus has. Find those that uh, are under your care or those that you lead with and uh, that probably have a similar heart and maybe have some holy, as Dan's been saying, a discontent. uh, discontent. And just start meeting them. Don't have a plan. Don't have some agenda. Just start listening together. Um, Our team uses this language. We have Lutheran. We have Methodist. 
we have Presbyterian, we have Baptists, we have non-denominational, we have from a strong Pentecostal side to spirit-filled side. So this is this team, this wonderful, wacky team that we're a part of, uh, lovers of Jesus, right? So we use this terminology, co-discern. Well, listen to the spirit together, and then I'd like to say uh, this, do a hard assessment and be very radically uh, honest and raw before Jesus. Get alone and get a pad of paper. What do you believe in your life right now is keeping you from following Jesus wholeheartedly in fresh faith? If it's the mortgage or the denom or the reporting or sister so-and-so or elder so-and-so or whatever, whatever these things are, be honest and put it out there. Because maybe, quite frankly, this may be the hour that all of that gets put onto an altar of sacrifice. Because if they've gotten between you and being fully released into God's will and way for your life, then maybe it's time to do something crazy. And it might mean you might suffer because you won't have a paycheck. Maybe that's a fear that's gotten in between. Maybe you're fearful you won't be able to pay for your rent, your mortgage, or the car payment. I, I really do understand that. I am not unsympathetic to that. But this isn't the day to play it safe. So I want to encourage you to respond to whatever that stirring is. Find your way. Jesus is patient. He's more than enough. And be willing to put it all, quote unquote, if you've got to burn the ship, no turning back. Then whatever that looks like for you, let me encourage you to just give it all right now. Because I know we use this a lot in our prayers. You know, there are better days ahead and the best is yet to come. And I know we can say that in different meetings. I honestly believe that Jesus is calling us into a deeper depth of intimacy with him, but unto greater works of the Spirit. I don't want to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. I want to bless you into that, into faithfulness, into trust and hope to arise. I want to stir that gift up again and to fan into flame, as Paul talked to that young, if you will, protege, Timothy. Fan it into flames. Jesus, be glorified in my life. Be glorified in our lives. Well, Rob, I think I got saved all over again. So thank you very much. <laughs> you, I'm ready to go do something. Um, thanks so much, bud, for joining us. If Rob has really kind of stirred your thinking, please make sure to check out refocusing.org. Uh, you can also check out uh, his uh, um, kind of umbrella organization at novo.org. Let me highly encourage you uh, to check out the activated portion. It is for um, kind of every believer, any person. It's a great job jumping off point. Nick Greenwood, wonderful, wonderful gentleman, man of God. So with that being said, thanks for joining us for this episode of Only on a Sunday. Uh, next time, we'll talk about the people that we find in the churches. So we've talked a little bit today with Rob about, you know, kind of from the, the leadership perspective, but then we're going to talk about the people that we find in the churches, the expectations that they have, the attitudes that they have, the consumer mentalities, and how that affects what Jesus is doing. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and feel free to check out what we're doing at the LowrysOnMission.org. Or you could check us out on Facebook, simply type in Lowry's on Mission and you'll see us pop up. So again, thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.